Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. This Sunday, the Catholic Church in the Mass readings is going to bring us right into the heart of Jesus's public ministry. I want you to pay close attention to the gospel reading. It comes from Matthew chapter 13, which is at the center of Matthew's gospel. It's a key turning point in Jesus's public ministry. It's when Jesus starts teaching systematically in parables, in parables. Now, I bet some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal? I know Jesus teaches in parables, but I I suspect that many of us, many of us don't fully appreciate just how radical this was for Jesus to start teaching in parables. And we might understand why all of a sudden he shifted his teaching method. Did you know that before this moment in his public ministry, Jesus barely ever used parables, but now all of a sudden he starts telling them many things in parables, one after another, after another, after another, so much so that the disciples are shocked. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, it tells them Jesus told them many things in parables and the disciples were surprised. They say to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? They realize something significant is happening right now in Jesus's public ministry and they want to know why. Why did he shift the teaching method? What does this mean? They have a better grasp of parables than many of us do in the 21st century. I wanted to bring you into that biblical world to appreciate this turning point in Jesus's ministry. So welcome to the All Things Catholic podcast. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and I want to welcome any new listeners joining us for the first time. Thanks for checking out the show, and hope you all have had a blessed 4th of July week, at least here in the United States. We've been celebrating our national holiday, our, our independence, and uh, it was so awesome. I, I was able to go up into the mountains with my family. Uh, we did a family vacation. Uh, it was so great, especially after three months of being in lockdown and quarantine here to just get out in the beautiful Colorado Rockies. We weren't able to do our original planned family reunion kind of thing that we wanted to do, but I'm so thankful I live in a beautiful state like Colorado where we can get away and get into the mountains. We got to go hiking. We hiked to this big waterfall over at 9,000 feet. We got to go horseback riding. The kids did climbing walls. I got to do axe throwing. Have you ever done axe throwing? I've never done that before. That was that was an experience. We had a lot of fun with that, but it was so great just to be out in God's nature uh, over this last week week. I, um, I've also been really excited. I mentioned this last time that I've been doing a number of these online events. And I don't know if you are involved in a Bible study group, or maybe you have a men's group or a women's group, or um, if, you, if, if you have a small group, just know I would be thrilled to come visit your small group virtually. In, a, in this period here where we're not able to travel and go do large events uh, like I normally do, I, I'm thrilled that at least we have the technology where I can come. And I've, I've done this already a number of times, meeting with various small groups, getting to kind of lead a little, uh, little Bible study or give a short presentation and then have some time for interaction, uh, question and answers. If you're in a small group, you're in a Bible study and, and you'd love to do something like this, check out my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. You can learn about my online speaking events that I'm doing there. Uh, also want to, I know I have some listeners that have roles of leadership at a parish or a Catholic school or in a diocese. And as many things are moving to digital formation over the next year, 
uh, perhaps you, you lead RCIA or, or marriage prep, or you do work with adult faith formation or sacramental prep with the parents, getting children ready for first communion, things like that. If you're looking for a presenter to come in, I'd be thrilled to meet with your group at a parish or diocesan level as well. I'm going to be doing a, a training session for Catholic school, school teachers for a whole diocese where we're going to be walking through salvation history for them. And again, so thankful we can do these things online. I much prefer to be able to do them in person, uh, but whether you're in, in a formal parish or diocesan leadership role, or you're just you know in a small group, a, a men's group, a women's group, a Bible study group, love to come visit your group. Check out my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com to learn more about how to schedule that. But let's turn back now to the parables. I want to bring you into Matthew chapter 13. It tells us that Jesus told them many things in parables that day. And the disciples were, were surprised. You know, all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the, 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 the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, one after another after another. And they're shocked. And they say to Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, I remember as a kid hearing that, that Jesus taught in parables because he wanted to use simple imagery, simple stories to make the mysteries of the kingdom accessible to more people, to the uneducated, simple peasant folk. So he was trying to make the, the complex mysteries of the kingdom really basic, really easy to understand. So more and more people will just easily grasp what, what the, the kingdom is all about. That's not what Jesus was actually up to. Maybe you've heard that line as well, like I heard when I was a, a, a child. But if you actually read what Jesus says, it, it doesn't sound like he's trying to make it more accessible. He actually says, you know, whoever has more will be given, whoever, you know, and whoever doesn't have much understanding with the little understanding they have will be taken away. That's what he actually says in Matthew 13 verses 11 and 12. So what is the purpose of the parable? Well, in the back, in the Old Testament background, the word parable um, Masal in, in Hebrew is basically a cryptic saying that's used to stimulate thought. So it's a cryptic saying or some kind of story that's meant to kind of shake you up a little bit, to kind of stimulate your thought. Maybe you, you think you understand something, but all of a sudden you hear the story and you're not sure what does it mean? What is it about? It's meant to humble you. It's oftentimes used to, to address people who are corrupt leaders to challenge their hard heartedness, to challenge their hard heads, <laughs> to, to kind of shake them up again, to, to kind of make them wonder, what does this really mean? What is this saying? What, what is it saying about me? I want you to think about one of the most famous parables that was ever told in the Old Testament. And this was a story every Jew in the first century would have known. Uh, you, maybe you've heard the story. It's the story of the parable that Nathan told King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me tell you about this parable. Here's the background. King David was a great king. Uh, he loved the Lord greatly, but he also sinned and he sinned greatly. He committed a sin of adultery. He, he slept with a woman named Bathsheba who was married to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, who was a faithful soldier serving in David's army. David stole his wife while, while Uriah was out on the battlefield <laughs> fighting for him, you know, uh, and uh, and then Bathsheba gets pregnant. And so what David does is he wants to cover up his sin 
And so he basically has Uriah murdered. He sends Uriah off to be put into the front line of battle. And, and then the, the troops are all instructed to withdraw while Uriah is left all alone to be killed on the battlefield. So not only is David a, a, an adulterer, he's also a murderer. And, and, and then God is going to send the prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin. Now, I, I, I like just thinking about Nathan here. Just imagine, you know, put yourself in Nathan's shoes here. How do you feel about this mission of going to the king, the all-powerful King David, announcing to David, you know, the, his sin, confronting David with his sin? You're thinking, uh-oh, I don't know if I want that job because David just murdered to cover up his sin. If I go and tell David this, he might, you know, confront him with his sin. He might murder me. <laughs> you know, he'd be a little nervous. But wise Nathan wise prophet that he is, doesn't directly confront David with his sin. He tells a parable. And this is going to give us an insight into how parables work. He goes to David. He says, hey, David, did you hear what happened in the kingdom? There was this poor man that had one little ewe lamb and he treasured this lamb. But there was this rich man that had a large flock of sheep of his own. But even though he had his own sheep, he wanted to have a big party. But instead of using one of his own sheep, he stole this poor man's single one little ewe lamb and used it and, and, and killed it and served it for the feast for his party. Can you believe he did that and David was horrified. That is so unjust. And David says, that 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 wicked man, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan the prophet famously says, David, you're that man. You're like that man, David. You're 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 like that rich man that had this large flock. You know, you have you have you have this harem of your own, you have all these wives of your own, and yet you took this one poor man, Uriah's only wife. You, you have all these wives of your own and you took his wife and then you murdered him. You're like that man, David. You deserve to be punished. Now, at this moment, David, David was emotionally drawn into the story. And, and, and David realizes, oh, I'm the bad guy in the story. And so David is more open to repenting. And in fact, that's what David does. He, he, he repents of his sin. If, if Nathan maybe just came right out and said, hey, David, I know what you did. David might have been defensive. He might have made excuses for himself. He might have tried to cover up this scandal and, and had Nathan killed. <laughs> you know, who knows what would have happened. But by telling this parable, David repents and he writes the beautiful hymn, the beautiful prayer of repentance that you'll find in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is David humbled, a, a man with a, a contrite heart, going before God and repenting. The parable worked. It drew David in. And, and what I love about the parable, by the way, here's another exciting part of the story, is that Nathan, the prophet, doesn't just tell any story about injustice. He tells a story involving sheep because he knows that'll grab David's heart. Why? Because David was a shepherd. David was a shepherd in his youth and he, and he would do anything to protect his sheep. He would lay down his life for the sheep. He fought off the, the, the lions and the bears that protect his sheep. And so when he tell, hears a story about this poor man's little sheep, his heart is connecting in that story personally, right? He, he can relate to this man. 
you know, if Nathan the prophet had to confront me with a sin and he came to me and told me a parable about sheep, it wouldn't really move my heart. I don't really know that much about sheep. <laughs> but if he came to me as a theologian and said something like this, he said, Dr. Shri, did you hear what happened? There was this poor young theology student and, and he only had one copy of St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologia, the famous work of theology. That's, that's the only theological books he had. But there was a rich, wealthy theologian that had every biblical commentary, every writing of the church fathers, every, every writing of the saints. And yet he stole this one poor student's theological works of Thomas Aquinas and, and stole them. I'm like, that's a story that would move my heart, <laughs> you know? But, but that's, what, that's what Nathan does. He tells a story. That, that, that gets David emotionally invested. He's connected in with the character of the story that, that, that is suffering the injustice. And then all of a sudden David realizes he's like the bad guy in that story. And that, that, that moved David to kind of shake up his mind, to think about his, his life and his decisions differently. And it moved him to repent. That's what the parables do. That's what I want us to think about for the, for the reading that's coming up here this Sunday. You know, think about the parable that Jesus tells. You'll hear it. It's all about the parable of the sower. You've probably heard this story before. You've got the sower goes out and sows seed. And some of the seed lands on a path. Some of it lands on rock. Some of it lands on thorns. And and that's, that seed doesn't bear fruit. But then there is seed that does land on good soil. And that bears fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Now, why is Jesus telling a story about seed and seed landing on different kinds of ground? Well, this is a famous Old Testament image that the sower is God and the seed is God's word. And, and for Jesus, think about what Jesus has been doing. I, you know, these parables don't just come parachuting from heaven. And no, they were given in originally to a particular audience in a particular historical context. And here at this point in Jesus's public ministry, think of all that's been happening. Jesus has been going around Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. And there's been different people listening and responding in different ways. Some people receive the word with joy and excitement. Others are rejecting Jesus. Uh, others want to follow him as disciples, but turn away. Others actually follow him and remain faithful to him. So all these different kinds of responses. This parable is all about what's happening in Jesus's public ministry. And it's a direct response to something tragic that happened this very day. Do you know the event that sparked Jesus's parables? Are you aware of what happened on this very day that made Jesus say, I am changing my teaching method. I'm going to start teaching in parables now. Do you know what happened? Well, it tells us in Matthew chapter 13, verse one, it says that same day, Jesus went out of the house and started teaching them many things in parables. That same day, it's the same day that the Pharisees started plotting against Jesus to destroy him. You read about that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. They started plotting against Jesus to destroy him. You see, these Pharisees have not liked Jesus's teaching. They don't like that he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. They don't like that he's touching lepers and in their eyes, breaking all of the Jewish customs. They think he's a false prophet. But on this very day in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, they decide we are going to bring him to his death. And now Jesus te changes his teaching method. And now he starts teaching in parables, one parable after another, after another, after another. And the disciples are shocked. But why did he do this? 
Why are parables told? Why did Nathan use a parable? To confront corrupt leaders. That's what Jesus is doing here with the parables. He's confronting the Pharisees. He's going to shake them up because the Pharisees think they know it all. They think that they've got the right read on Jesus. We know this guy. He can't be a true prophet sent from God. He must be a false prophet. We've got to destroy him. And now he's going to start teaching in parables. I'm going to go, what? What is this about? Wait, wait. I don't understand. What is he, what is he saying? What, is, what does this mean? What is, this, what is he saying about me? It's meant to shake them up. Think about the parables. What does he do? He tells a story and he's, he's going to pull aside the disciples and he's going to explain to the disciples. He's going to say, yeah, you know, for you, I'm going to, you're going to learn, you're going to hear the parables, but you're going to get the deeper meaning because I'm going to explain them to you. And in chapter 13, verse 18, he says, all right, some of the seed lands on the path. That's those that the devil snatches away right away. They do, they hear the word, but they do not understand it. Who is that a reference to? That's the Pharisees. This isn't just a random parable about seeds falling on different soils. It's specifically about the Pharisees right here. They're the ones that hear the word, but they don't understand it. From the very get-go, they don't understand Jesus. They oppose him. They think he's a false prophet. They're against him. That's the seed falling on the path. But there's the seed that fell on the rock. What is that a reference to? Jesus explains to the apostles in chapter 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You know, this is a reference to, you know, who are the people that are really enthusiastic about Jesus's public ministry at first? They're so excited. They receive him with joy. But when push comes to shove, they're going to turn away. I think this is the crowds, right? The great crowds. These are the ones that are so excited. They hear Jesus is preaching. He's a dynamic teacher. We, we've never, this man teaches with authority, they say, after the Sermon on the Mount. They love his preaching. They love his miracles. He's going around healing all these different people. And they say, we've never seen anything like this in all of Israel. This is amazing. So they love his teaching. They love his healings. But when push comes to shove, when there's the cross, where are they going to be? Are they going to pick up their cross and follow Jesus? Are these the are these crowds going to be there with Jesus on Good Friday? No. What do the crowds do on Good Friday? They shout out, crucify him, crucify him. See, again, the parables aren't just random stories. This is about what's happening right there in Jesus's ministry. Same thing with the, the seed that falls on the thorns. So these are, this is those who they, they receive the word, they welcome it. But the cares of this world and the riches distract them. And, and it's like the, the thorns choking uh, the, the, the seed and, and preventing the seed, the plant from growing. I, I think this is a reference to the, some of those people that come up to Jesus. They're sincere. They're really interested, like the rich young man. They really want to follow him. But when they hear what it, it's going to entail, they have to give up everything and follow Jesus. They're scared and they, and they, they, they hold back and they, they can't surrender everything to Jesus. So... The disciples, they're the ones that are the good soil. They receive the word, they welcome it, and it takes deep root in their lives and it bears much fruit. You see, if we understand the historical background better, we can really grasp what Jesus is doing. He's trying to challenge the Pharisees. He's challenging the crowds. He's challenging those would-be disciples, those that have some sincere interests but aren't really willing to commit to totally surrender. He's challenging them with the story. It's meant to wake you up and go, where am I in the story? So when you hear this parable this Sunday, 
ask yourself, where are you? We know that there are many people in this world that are like the Pharisees. Their hearts are hardened. They don't want to even consider the possibility that Christianity might be right. I bet you have friends or family that you might put in that category. You know somebody, maybe at work, maybe a relative that you know that they're, they're just so closed. You know, and they'll be, they, maybe they'll be nice to you as a Christian, but they, they really just think this whole Catholic thing is just crazy, just insane. Pray for them. Pray for them that, that their hearts may be more open, that the word of God may meet good soil in their hearts. But also examine your own conscience. Maybe you're someone that's like the crowds. There's excitement. You love Catholic things. You love listening to Catholic things, watching Catholic things, doing Catholic things. But does your faith take deep root in your life? Are you consistent? Are you committed to Jesus truly? Are you committed to prayer every day? Are you committed to following his teachings? Not just when it's convenient, not just when everyone else around you is doing what, what Jesus wants to do. Are you willing to stand up for truth even when it's uncomfortable or unpopular? You know, are, are you, is, is your faith taking deep root in your life? You know, maybe another question is to ask yourself, how much do the cares of this world, the comforts and pleasures of this world, the successes and honors of this world, how much does that attract you and weigh you down and keep you from giving your life completely to Jesus like the rich young man? See, the more we understand the historical context of these parables, the more we can make direct application that really challenges us today. That's what Jesus does in the parables. And I hope this has been helpful. I want to I share with you one more parable though. Uh, the most famous parable of all, just to see, see how this works, it's the parable of the prodigal son. This is not simply a story about forgiveness and reconciliation. If you were a Jew in the first century and you heard the story of the prodigal son, you'd be, you'd be hearing it as, this is our story. We know this story. This is, this is the story of our lives, right? Because the prodigal son, what does he do? He, he, abandons the father, rejects the father, takes the inheritance, squanders it on loose living, lives a sinful life, and then falls under a, a Gentile master. He's a slave under a Gentile master. That's Israel's story. They broke the covenant. They rejected God the father. Israel is God's firstborn son. God is their father. And the son rejected the father, rejected the covenant. And what happened? They found themselves slaves under a Gentile master named Babylon. Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and carried the people off into slavery. And even though the people came back to the land, there have been one nation after another ruling over them. And in the first century world, it's still, it's another nation. Now the Romans are ruling over them. So every Jew hears this story. They're like, oh, we're the prodigal son. We did these horrible things and we were under Roman oppression now. But then the next part of the story, when the son returns and the father rejoices and has a big feast, they hear that part of the story and they're like, yes, this is what the prophets foretold that one day we would return to the father. The father would welcome us, forgive us, and it would be like a feast. That's actually what Isaiah and Amos, the other prophets use the image of a great feast with lots of food and great wine, a great celebration. And so this story is just resonating with you. If you're a Jew listening to Jesus tell this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. But the last part of the story would have been a complete shocker for you. That story had never been told before. 
the older brother that's sitting outside grumpy and complaining and frustrated. Why, why, dad, are you welcoming him in? He's the sinner. He shamed the family. How come he didn't kill for me, the fatted calf? You know, he's all angry about the, the little brother coming home. And the father says, son, this brother of yours, he was once lost. He's now found. He was once dead. He's now alive. You should be in rejoicing. What's the purpose of this parable? Why does Jesus tell it? Because in Luke 15, read Luke 15 verses one and two, it gives you the context for why Jesus told this parable. It's not just a story about repentance and reconciliation. It's more a story about the older brother. What was the context? Jesus was eating meals, having a feast with sinners and tax collectors. And guess who was on the outside grumbling and complaining like the older brother? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were all upset. Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus is saying, this is what my ministry is all about. These sinners, tax collectors, drunkards, prostitutes, these brothers and sisters of yours, they were once lost, they were, but they're now found. They were once dead and now they're alive. Come and welcome them and enjoy this feast. Don't sit on the outside of the new covenant, the new covenant feast here. Don't sit on the outside complaining and grumbling, rejoiced that they're being welcomed back into the kingdom. That's the challenge of the parables. You see, if, if you know the context, you see that these aren't just stories to fill simple things. They're meant to like wake up the Pharisees, to shake them up. They're, they have a certain read on Jesus. He should not be eating with these wretched sinners. Jesus has to tell them a story and it kind of, they get emotionally invested. Like, yes, this is our story. The story of Israel. We're coming back to the father. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, wait, no, no, we're the, we're the older brother. We're the bad guy sitting on the outside. And it's meant to wake them up to think more deeply about their read on Jesus and what Jesus's ministry means for their own lives. That's the purpose of the parables. If you want to learn more about the parables, you want to learn more about how parables work. You want to learn more about Matthew's gospel as a whole. Check out my book, God with us, God with us. Encountering Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. That's my my latest book. It came out just this last year. It's a walk through Matthew's Gospel, and I have a whole section dedicated to really unpacking the parables like we're doing here today. So check that out. It's called God with Us, Encountering Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And you can find that information on my website. And again, I want to mention if you have a small group, a men's group, a women's group, a Bible study group, uh, if you're interested in having me come to your parish or to your uh, to your small group and into your living room, at least virtually uh, through these online events, check out my website, edwards3.com. That's edwardsri.com. And you can learn more about my online speaking events there. And you can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and God bless.